You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. This is the cycling podcast Femina at the Women's Tour. Today, we're in Walsall. Well, thank you for joining us again. It's stage two of the Women's Tour. I'm joined by Lizzie Banks. Hello, Rose. Hello, Lizzie. And hello, Lionel. Hello, Rose. Hello, Lizzie. Um, we've just, uh, we're actually not in Walsall. The stage today was Walsall to Walsall. Wall to wall, Walsall. Oh, very good. You could say. Uh, but we're not actually there. We're in Coles Hill, which is somewhere between the stages. It's kind of our transfer stop. Um, it's actually exactly halfway between Walsall and Atherston, where tomorrow's time trial is. Deliberately chosen, Rose. I mean, no accident. Absolutely not. And we are going to mention, we are going to talk about the time trial a little later on, but I think we need to crack on because there's so much to talk about um, today. And uh, we also have very, very special exclusive interview, uh, which Orla Shenoui has done with Eleanor Barker uh, on the news that Eleanor Barker is having a baby, but that that's not the... Well, I mean, that's congratulations to Eleanor. Congratulations, Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not the be-all and end-all of the story, but also that um, her team, uh, Uno X women's team that she's joining next year, are going to be um, honouring her contract, uh, which is a magnificent step forward, I think, uh, for the women's peloton and for, you know, maternity rights overall. So a really, really interesting uh, conversation that Orla had with Eleanor, um, talking about pregnancy in the Olympics... And uh, that's coming up at the end. But before that, uh, we've got so much to talk about. We've got um, interviews with Demi Vollering. Um, we're going to be going through the stage. We're going to be talking a bit about Walsall. Or you're going to be talking about Walsall, Lionel. I am. I've been be doing my research on Walsall, Rose. Don't worry. Um, exactly. And uh, But before all that, let's hear the story of the stage. Lionel, take it away. Well, it was, for Amy Peters, the fourth women's tour stage win of her career. She was the fastest in a 10-rider group that got clear around about eight kilometres from the finish. Now, she is from Harlem in the Netherlands, so it's not so much a Harlem globetrotter, but she's the Harlem fast finisher. Unless there's any improvements Ooh. on that, I'm going to go with it. I mean, you're cringing, Rose. <laughs> That's not the reaction it I was must hoping be, for. But I just can't grasp at it right now. <laughs> Anyway, stage two started at the Arboretum in Warsaw and finished a few hundred metres away in Litchfield Street, but they had to do 102.2 kilometres over a circuit which took them uh, over the same hill nine times. Mm. Just before we get to today's stage, though, a little bit to wrap up from yesterday. Uh, there were four non-starters this morning, including the Canadian champion Alison Jackson. She crashed on the run-in yesterday. Uh, Jana Kurovar, her live racing teammate, is also out. She fractured her collarbone in a crash yesterday. And Liv also lost Evie Kuypers today. So they're actually down to just two riders, having started with five. Another rider who was unable to start today was Emma Bugard. Rose, you spoke to her yesterday because she had a very unfortunate end to her race. Yeah, she was actually a DNF and she caught my eye because well, we were just waiting around the team buses uh, before the stage is actually finished. Um, she came along and she was in uh, floods of tears, just inconsolable. Um, and for, for about 20 minutes, I mean, she was weeping and sobbing and went in the bus and came out and was weeping and sobbing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I spoke to her then about, you know, her disappointment and, and what it was about. And this is what she had to say. Well, I, I had a really good time today in the race and I felt really good. But on a steep climb, 
I uh, dropped and I came into a small group behind the peloton with two of my teammates. And then I got a flat tire and uh, I put my hand up and waited for cars because our own car already passed. <laughs> yeah, my flat tire was, it was um, uh, out of air and it was going downhill, so it was really uh, dangerous. So I stopped on the side of the road and then uh, the last car came and he was like, yeah, we have no wheels for you. So that meant that, that I'm out of the race. But it's that's not fair. Like neutral always need to help everyone. Yeah, and I think I'm going to the, uh, the jury uh, after the race with uh, my team manager because yeah, it's just not fair. And obviously you're you're so disappointed to concede that. What what were you ex hoping to get from this week? I was hoping to get like a nice time of racing and with the. Yeah, the best in the peloton. Like it was amazing to even ride next to Lizzie Dijkman. <laughs> I saw her Saturday, and uh, I didn't finish Paris Roubaix. But yeah, it was just amazing to see see that you can ride next to them and like in the top of the the world's class. So, and is this your last race of the season? Yeah, it actually is. So I'm definitely not ready to finish today already. I want to finish the whole sta all stages till Saturday, and yeah, that's why I'm so disappointed that this happened. I was not not ready to leave the race yet. Yeah, a really unfortunate incident for Buga there. I mean, you have to sympathise, but not an easy job for the neutral service to be everywhere when they are needed. But when you're, you know, in the wrong position and your luck's out. That's the end of the race. I mean, really, really harsh. Um, another rider who didn't finish today, Lucy Kennedy of Bike Exchange. Uh, she'd announced her comeback from retirement to, in order to ride this race. She'd retired a week ago. and She's ridden uh, a day and a bit of the women's tour and now, I assume, will retire again. Um, but the stage itself, heavy rain at times, live corrections corner from our maths expert, Lizzie Banks, who says that, <laughs> yes, it was nine laps, but it was actually ten climbs. Um, grudgingly, you're correct, Lizzie. I'm happy to correct that. Um, heavy rain over the first half of the stage, but it did dry up for the final stages. Um, the climb itself, Bar Beacon, didn't look the hardest just climbed once but it must have had a sort of sapping effect and uh, although it was all more or less together over the first half of the stage uh, it started to come to life around midway there was a break including yesterday's runner-up Chloe Hosking now we didn't get a great view of the finish in the finishing straight yesterday but when we watched the TV pictures back last night in our luxury Airbnb mm. uh, we saw that Chloe Hosking basically would have had it if she'd done another pedal rev and a half, perhaps. Oh, I don't Is know with harsh? you. Bastianelli was coming up so fast. Okay, point taken, fair point. <laughs> anyway, Hosking was in that move with some other dangerous riders overall. Christine Majerus was in there. Leanne Lippert was in there. They were both only 10 seconds off the leader's jersey. Uh, that was caught, and then another big move went with around about 20 kilometres to go. There were 16 riders in it, including Lizzie Dignan, Joss Loudon, Pfeiffer Georgie and significantly Amy Peters. They were caught, but then with about eight kilometres to go, a 10-rider group went clear. 
Again, it was Amy Peters and Demi Vollering who seemed to be riding in tandem in this race because they were in a break together briefly yesterday. Elise Shabby was in there, Audrey Cordon Ragot, uh, Clara Capone, uh, Shayla Gutierrez, Pfeiffer Georgie and Juliette Labou were also in there. And on the run-in, although there were, were a few little moves to try and snap the elastic, it came down to a sprint. And perhaps, as expected, Amy Peters of SD Works was the fastest. She beat Clara Capone of Francis Dujeur. The next group came in 42 seconds down, but there's been a bit of a shake-up overall because Capone of France takes the overall lead. She's actually tied on time with Amy Peters, but second place today, added together to third place yesterday, give her the leader's jersey by virtue of the lowest aggregate overall placings. Capone is also in the lead on points ahead of Amy Peters. And the other jerseys, the Queen of the Mountains jersey is now being worn by Elise Shabby and Nina Kessler has consolidated her lead in the sprints competition tomorrow. It's a, a historic stage, really, because it's the first individual time trial in women's tour history. And I think I'm right in saying it's 16 kilometres. So it's the good old British... 16.3, Lionel. Close enough for me. Close <laughs> enough for me. I mean, the, the number pedant over there, Lizzie Banks. But that, to me, in old money, is a good old 10-mile time trial. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimise your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalised analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens for sponsoring the cycling podcast and enabling us to be here covering the women's tour on the ground this week. If you'd like to find out more about Super Sapiens and how the app and the sensor which sticks onto your arm can give you information about how your body is managing its glucose levels and as a result of that, how you can fuel more effectively for training and racing, go to supersapiens.com. Now, somebody who was out on the course riding today was Lizzie Banks. Lizzie's Recon Stage 2. We are in Walsall today and I've had a bumpy start. Got here with plenty of time, two hours before the riders went off, so that I'd be able to do a couple of laps of the course before getting caught by the race motos like I did yesterday, because I think the roads will be completely closed today. But as I started getting changed, I realised I'd forgotten my shorts. But thankfully, our wonderful photographer, Simon Gill, happened to have a box of, well, it looks like lost property, really. Um, and he fished out this old Santini pair of longs for me, which are a little baggy, have got 
quite a few holes in the knees, but beggars can't be choosers and I'm grateful for what I've got. So once again, I'm in a race against the clock to try and get around the route before the motos catch me because now I've only got about 50 minutes, I think, before the race starts and another race for me, off I go. I'm onto the circuit now, I've passed kilometre zero. There's a short section out from Walsall to where you join the circuit. The riders will then be doing nine full laps, then one partial lap before heading back into the finish in Walsall. So really importantly, they're not actually gonna see the finish line until they get there for the first time. It's been raining all night and it's just drizzling now, but it's forecast to get a bit worse. So I'm really hoping that it's gonna be a safe race out there because we want an exciting race, but we don't want to see crashes. The weather's definitely getting worse out on course here. You can probably hear the wind howling, even though I'm going quite slowly up a short climb at the moment. And although there's no standing water on the road, it still makes your brakes slow. safe there. Just headed to the QM now. You know these roads are pretty flat and they're pretty fast but in typical women's tour fashion they're never actually flat and it's those little rises when the bunch is strung out and you're fighting to get back that's what really hurts. Just past the Skoda the Queen of the Mountain point now and Actually, interestingly, I've just got to the point which says QOM finish, and it's just over the brow of the hill. These things that can be a bit misleading when you're out in the race. Sometimes you see a set of flags and you think, okay, that's the finish, and you start sprinting for it. And especially if you've not seen it before, <laughs> you sometimes end up sprinting for the wrong line, and the rider who is behind you comes around you and takes points. So, hmm, tricky one. Just here at kilometre zero, the riders are about to come through. The wind and the rain is really shifting across the course now. It's going to be pretty grim for those riders today. Well, here the riders come 30 metres away from kilometre zero now. Marta Bastianelli looking fine in the blue of the leader's jersey. And the flag is dropped. Off they go. Well, the riders are about to come through to the bottom point of the circuit, which is the point where they actually turn off when they go to the finish in Walsall after the 9.45, 9.75 times around the circuit. There's a very high-tech lap board here, a guy holding a sign saying nine, and I did say to him, you know, if the riders crash on this corner, they're going to slide straight into you. So, firstly, I hope the riders don't crash and hope that the uh, signboard man doesn't get taken out. So I'm just waiting for them to come now. Here we go. Coming down the hill now. Quite a lot of riders to go through a pretty small corner, to be honest. Oh God! Just got down to the final finishing straight in Walsall. There is a tight right-hand bend, 300 metres to go, and then it really opens out into a nice straight sprint finish. So it's going to be tricky to get into that right-hand corner first. But then we should have a really nice sprint after that. But also need to not go too early because I don't think you can make it from that corner to the line. I thought I was going to be able to fin cross the finish line before the riders. But I'm not allowed to go up there because they're laying the finish line. So yeah, I think once again the riders are going to beat me to the finish. 
got back to the camp van, swiftly changed into some dry clothes and thankfully dry shoes because even after only just over an hour on the bike, my shoes were getting pretty soggy. Lyle and I are just walking to the finish now. It's just under 20 kilometers to go and there's actually a group of 16 riders away with 15 seconds. So will they make it to the finish? 15 kilometers to go now. We didn't get any names for the group of 16, but the advantage is down to 10 seconds. So it's looking doomed with only 15 kilometers to go. Surely. At the finish line now with Lionel Burney and that group has been caught. Ella Harris, Evita Music, Lizzie Dagnan, Anna Christian, Joss Loudon, Fife for Georgie, Alicia Gonzalez, Amy Peters and Veronica Ewers were all in that group. But it's come back together now. They have one lap left and then the furious run into the final sprint in Walsall. Inside 5k to go now and after that group got caught there was another group that got away 10 riders That group now has built up 45 second lead really really quickly and it's clear that that group is going to go to the finish now Definitely got one of the favorites Demi Vollering in there really strong rider and Elise Shabby as well Convoy is coming through now Here they are coming into the finish just one rider ahead of the bunch the bunch behind I think it's five for Georgie She's trying to go clear on her own is she gonna get caught by the bunch behind her? I was on the 300 meters to go line and now I'm just heading around the corner to see if it's finished straight to see is she going to make it. Oh my god, she's got 100 meters to go and she's just getting caught by the bunch. Oh! Well, I absolutely loved hearing about all of the suspense and excitement that you were feeling at 300 metres to go, Lizias. So exciting to see Pfeiffer Georgie um, out the front. And I caught up, I was at the team buses at the end and I managed to catch up with both Pfeiffer Georgie and Juliette Labou, her teammate uh, at Team DSM, who kind of launched her into that thrilling uh, finale. So let's hear what they both had to say. Well, Julia, the first question I have to ask is uh, what happened in the... Because obviously we don't get to see what happened. What, what happened? Oh, it happened a lot. There was a lot of attacks the whole time and it was quite windy. So every time after the sprint, it was really hard and groups were going. And with our team, we always had someone in. So it was actually really good. And in the final, I got away with uh, Pfeiffer. And uh, yeah, we knew we were not the strongest in the sprint. So I attacked with the headwind and uphill in the last part to set her up and she could go after me and she almost made it to the finish line she was caught with 100 to go so we almost made it and how satisfying is it yesterday was a bit disappointing having all the the crash that a lot of you were involved with uh, at the end how satisfying is it to have the teamwork today yeah we try to keep the spirit really motivating and yeah the girls did a good job like megan crashed hard yesterday but yeah today she reset her mind and she was actually really strong so actually really impressive and yeah the team uh, was strong today again and so you obviously keen to to get into a break instead of waiting uh, all the way all the way to the finish do you feel like there are a lot of other teams that also didn't want it to come it down to a sprint yeah some didn't want to like trek they were not cooperating in the break because they had husking in the back but uh, yeah Kenyon and SD works really want to go for a break so it was good for us now Julia was just telling us about the two of you being in that final breakaway, what was it like being there? Yeah, it was a really hard race all day actually and yeah, on the last lap we found ourselves in a group of 10 and yeah, the gap started going away so we kind of knew it was the race winning break and yeah, Juliet kept riding for GC and I was 
more thinking about the stage win. So, yeah, I said to Juliet, attack on the climb to try and set me up. And I went over the top and, yeah, I got a gap and just went as hard as I could all in. And then I got caught, like, 100, 150 to go. But, yeah, no regrets because I did everything I could. Just, yeah, you win some, you lose most, actually. <laughs> And what was that feeling like, being right at the front of the race, being so close to the finish there? Yeah, actually, for a moment I started to believe that I might have it, which is, yeah, a really exciting feeling, especially as the whole day I was not feeling great and still after Roubaix and yesterday, like, just a bit tired. So actually to be there at the end, yeah, it's a real confidence boost and, yeah, really exciting to try to play our cards in the final and, yeah, go for the stage win. And do you feel more that you're, you know, you're getting your energy back as a team, like getting over the fatigue, you're kind of building up into, into more form towards the end of the week? Yeah, definitely. I think all of us are kind of, yeah, dealing with different things, so tiredness or crashes. But I think as the week goes on, I think, especially with the Raider, I think she's coming back into some form after some time off. So I think the last three stages, yeah, be really exciting with her. And yeah, hopefully I'll be a bit more recovered by then. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it, actually. Well, Team DSM played their cards or attempted to play their cards in that move. They weren't the only team with two riders in that final 10, though, were they? Movistar did as well, but the the might really was with SD Works, with Amy Peters. I mean, was, as, as this group was approaching the line, Lizzie, did you think this is Amy Peters to lose, really? Yeah, I mean, she's definitely the one that you're going to be looking at. And, of course, other riders might also look at Demi Vollering, but as we said yesterday... She's a great sprinter, but she's not a pure sprinter. And Amy Peters is just so powerful. But then it's going to be interesting to see if they look to the overall for Amy now, because she's also a great time trialist. And it's a technical time trial tomorrow. And both of those riders are technically incredibly adept. So I think we're just going to, to see things fall into place with the GC after tomorrow. And for them, if they have two riders up the front, it's great. They can play the game. Exactly, they're both, I mean, Demi Vollering is, I think, only 10 seconds back on um, GC. Which is just bonus seconds. Yeah, totally. And I think uh, it's amazing to have seen, it, this is only the second stage, but we've already seen them being able to uh, play off of each other um, so perfectly because it was, I think, they basically did the same kind of setup on stage one, uh, but that time it was Demi Vollering who went and then Amy Peters who joined her in the break and then it didn't quite make it. But, you know, it's basically the same... They were playing with the same game. It's a real mental game now as well for both them and the other riders. They know they're stronger. The other riders know they're stronger. Everybody's getting more and more tired. Everyone knows Demi Vollering wasn't at Paris-Roubaix. So next time when they go, they're going to go, oh my God, they've gone again. I just can't go with them. And then immediately they already have, you know, one step over everybody else because mentally everybody's kind of given up, apart from Elise Shabby, because she just never gives up. <laughs> now, we'll talk about Elise Shabby uh, in a moment, but um, for now, let's hear from Demi Vollering, who talked about uh, how her and Amy Peters uh, have been working so well. First of all, congratulations to ST Works uh, on the win today. Did it pan out exactly how you'd planned? Yeah, we really wanted to have a, a small group to go to the finish, like we wanted it yesterday already. And uh, now we were in again with, uh, with Amy and me, and that was really nice. And was the plan always to go for Amy both yesterday, because I know you both went in the break yesterday and today, or were you both having leadership yeah. roles differently? Uh, no, I think Amy's a really good sprinter, so if, if she's in the group, then I'm totally going for her. And, 
yeah, that's really nice. And also, yeah, it's good for the GC, of course. So uh, in both ways, it's really nice. But I'm really happy that she won it today. She was really strong, so she really deserves it. And how did the break get formed? Was it SD Works again? We've heard from other teams that you were very active all the way through. Yeah, I think Amy made move and then um, I came to the front with Christine with a lot of speed and then uh, Christine told me to jump also. It also feels a bit uh, weird because uh, Amy was riding in front full gas and then it feel, felt almost like I was closing it. But yeah, I, was, uh, I had a lot of speed so I made it to, to the group of Amy and then... Uh, Immediately uh, we started turning and um, in the beginning it was a bit hard because uh, the other teams were not really going for it but uh, yeah eventually it, it really worked out so that was really nice. And Amy does so well at this race, tell us about you know her strength as a rider. Yeah she's really really strong so I hope she has a good time trial t- tomorrow also and uh, yeah we will see for the rest of the week then. And are you looking forward to the time trial tomorrow and the rest of the week? Yeah, I'm really looking forward it and uh, yeah, I will see because yesterday was really hard for us and today again, so I hope I have still something in my legs uh, over for tomorrow. And how does it feel coping with the fatigue? Do you feel like you're gaining more strength or it's getting harder as the days go on? Um, yeah, that depends always a bit and today was also really cold, so that's never, never really good for your body, I think. Uh, always makes you really tired so um, yeah good sleep good food a good massage that will always also yeah, helps a lot so well i think amy peters must love the midlands because that's the third of her four women's tour stages that have happened in roughly the midlands stratford upon avon staffordshire and now warsaw and the other one was over in wales and um, i was there for that in 2019 but you were you weren't podcasting, were you? you actually... No, no, no. I was in the bunch. I was eleventh, and uh, I was yeah. I was really amazed by her <laughs> sort of distance. Imperious win over everybody else. She's certainly a powerful sprinter from a from a group like that, isn't she? I mean, uh, and the the rider who's well new to me, Lizzie. You may be able to tell me a bit about her. Is Clara Capone of FDJ? She's only twenty two, and she's in the the lead. And I must admit, I was sc- scrambling through the, uh, the the UCI regulations just to remind myself because it, it's changed over the years how they do this count back to award the um, leaders jersey. I'm sure there was a time when if you won the stage, that result took preeminence over accumulative points Um, it's not even accumulative points is it it's accumulative stage positions but that is why Clara Capone is in the leader's jersey but what do you know about her Lizzie well it's interesting she actually when I was going through the through all the riders before the race was one of my kind of ones to watch and no like Lizzie's Lizzie's riders (laughs) to watch is is about 200 riders long (laughs) Lizzie's (laughs) revisionist riders to watch and there were only you know I, I wanted to say it all at the beginning and now um, I don't get my chance. No one's going to believe me. But no, Capone, you know, she's coming into this pretty fresh. She rode the TTT at Worlds, but she didn't ride the road race and she didn't ride Roubaix. This is going to be, after the second stage, that's her 30th race day this year. So compared to a lot of other riders, it's not actually that many race days. So she will have had more time during the season to, to kind of take a break, more time to build up for this and will have known that she'll have been coming here, not going to Roubaix, not going to Worlds. And having not been at the Olympics either, 
that level of fatigue and that level of mental fatigue that other riders have, she just won't have that. And she's been getting better and better through that throughout the season. And perhaps she's looked at this like, hold on a second, the other riders are tired. This is a great opportunity for me. And when you go into something really, really hungry, that's when you get the results. And it's true, actually, that uh, you're saying that her results get better and better, but it's even been getting better and better this week. So rather two days into this week. But, yeah, she finished uh, third on the first stage uh, and second today. So, you know, is she climbing up to take the top step at some point well I mean realistically I don't think we're going to see her up there in the time trial because it's Mm. quite a technical time trial it's only 10 miles 16 kilometers 16.3 kilometers but it's it's going to be really tough and there will still be big gaps so I would be surprised to see her up there but I think we'll see her again in the sprint stages and she's obviously really fighting for those breaks whenever something something goes she is always there now, obviously, she's going to be looking to hold on to that jersey for as long as she can. And as you said, Lizzie, she's got the quite um, a big challenge tomorrow in front of her to, to hold on to it after that time trial when there's so many, um, well, great time trialists um, that, are, that are here with us. Uh, but so one person that is looking forward to uh, the rest of the week is Elise Shabby, who you caught up with at the end. Well, you've made time up on the GCA on a lot of riders now because there was only 10 of you away there. You are not a time trial specialist, but you're still really strong. And it's a technical time trial, which I think might benefit you. And there's more opportunities later in the week. So are the team going to be backing you now for the rest of the week? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I never want to go for the GC. And at the end, I always have to go for the GC. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, yeah, for this race, I just wanted to enjoy every stage and try to go for a win and, yeah, just be on an aggressive mode. But, yeah, we'll see. Obviously, now uh, I'm maybe in the top 10 on the GC, so, yeah, maybe I will. Anyway, I will try my best tomorrow and we'll see. <laughs> and did I hear over the tunnel that you're in the Queen of the Mountains jersey or are you not sure? I'm not sure, actually. Like, uh, I have to check it. Yeah, I think you should because I, I think you might be. But uh, <laughs> then I'll have a nice titty suit tomorrow. <laughs> it was interesting hearing... Demi Vollering when I spoke to her immediately after the finish saying that she thought that it was Amy Peters who had started the decisive move um, and it's interesting to see the the list of riders that responded and got into the um, into the move and I suppose the absentees from uh, the, the front group and crucially the time gap 42 seconds not inconsiderable when you consider that the time trial okay the gaps might be bigger than perhaps we'd expect because of the technical nature of the course but we're still talking about a race of seconds here aren't we it's still only 16 kilometers so i mean the margins can't be can't be huge can they that that is going to be created so 42 seconds really on, on what people were predicting was going to be a very um, just uh, five flat stages in a time trial uh, is a lot. It's an awful lot. I think that's fatigue coming back into it as well because you always know that you have to be present at the front and you can't be in the break if you're not present at the front. And if something goes and you're, you know, four or five rows back, you just simply can't get across to it. And Joss Loudon, Alice Barnes, we were talking about those riders as potential for the overall. Now, Alice Barnes making up 45 seconds on Amy Peters and Demi Vollering in the TT, that is a really, really tough ask. So perhaps they'll maybe just be looking for a stage win. Of course, they'll give it their best shot and kind of see what happens because you never know what's going to happen later in the race. You know, we didn't expect Lisa Longo-Borghini to abandon on the first stage. And at this point in the season, really funny things can happen. But definitely some riders that missed out there. Lizzie Diagnan being one of them and... and having made the earlier move and then not made uh, the um, the decisive one she is probably i guess last 
in terms of the riders who might still have a, a chance. But I mean, one minute 18 for Lizzie Dignan. She's 45th overall. Looks now like it's um, too much to make up in, in uh, this particular women's tour, I would have thought. But Audrey cordon Rogot was up there and she's been in really, really good form recently. She was absolutely flying at Roubaix and she did an incredible job for her team there. She'll be motivated here. She loves a TT. She loves getting the opportunity to race them and it doesn't come around very often. I think when I first looked at Trek's lineup, I thought mm, they're going to be going for stages because they've got Hosking here. Um, I never thought of Lizzie Dagnan as a contender for the overall in this parkour mm. for this women's tour. I think Lizzie herself would, would even kind of count as out. And obviously you can't always take what a rider says uh, too seriously because sometimes they're kind of trying to play you and play all of their rivals but I'm pretty sure um, the amount of fatigue that Lizzie is uh, feeling um, I think she's probably still in an awful lot of pain um, from having just the intensity of doing Paris-Roubaix on Saturday so I don't think she's going for GC but I think Audrey Cordon-Rigaud is a, is a great shout actually um, Lizzie because uh, as you said she was in the break today I mean they Trek Segafredo were the team that weren't complying with all the others when the other teams in the break were saying come on let's move this away uh, Trek Segafredo were the ones that didn't want to um, so Audrey Coldon Rago when I spoke to her at the team buses she even said yeah I was just hanging on the back because we wanted it to come together for Chloe Hoskin um, so yeah she was and also trying to save herself for trying to go for a win a stage win there as well but I think she'll be uh, definitely one to watch not for the overall surely I mean she lost three and a half minutes yesterday um, but certainly for, for um, in terms of stages um, but yeah, Chloe Hosking, again, second overall and in that early move, um, which not likely to get very far if the rider lying second overall um, is going up the road, as it's, as it's so proved. Um, but it's, yeah, it's going to be a shake-up tomorrow. I mean, I really don't know um, what sort of time gaps to expect, really, and, and whether I, or not it's still going to be sort of time bonus closable gaps. I think it's going to be looking at a couple of minutes, you know, um, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, to see a few minutes because it is really quite technical. And some of the lanes down the bottom end of the course, they're pretty muddy and it's been raining all day today. You have to be careful. A rider like Alice Barnes is perfectly suited to a course like this. She's an excellent time trialist and she's an incredible bike handler. So... And it's, of course, a home race, home supporters, her granddad's here to support her and her sister. And that gives you a huge amount of extra motivation. So I know I keep talking about Alice, but I do think this is a course for her. And I do think she'll be looking to test herself out against the other British riders because she's going to be looking to try and retain her stripes that she's had two, for two and a half years in only a week and a half's time. The cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Well, thank you very much to our sponsors, Science in Sport, for well, supporting us after all of these years and supporting us and allowing us to be here, be here and together and be having a lovely time here in the Midlands. We, we, we just can't complain about that at all, can we? Well, I found out today that Lizzie Banks is at heart and uh, by virtue of birth a, a, a Midlander. Oh, I have one among us. I thought you were Sheffield through and through. Oh, there we go. Incorrect. I promise you I haven't been trying to hide that secret from you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a proud, I'm a proud West Midlander, born and bred, born and bred in Worcestershire. Well, I shouldn't get too far. Well, we, we are going to talk a little bit more. Actually, Lina, you're going to give us a little 
Really, it should be Lizzie giving us the intro into Walsall. Wow. We've just worked out. But before we go anywhere, um, if you want to get 25% off of your science in sport products, and frankly, who wouldn't, then go to scienceinsport.com and type in the code... Lionel. S-I-S-C-P-25. You can't catch me out that easily. No, because, uh, do you know what, someone someone, um, came up to me today and said, do you know what, if you need Lionel to sing, well, first of all, (laughs) he said, we don't want Lionel singing. I said, don't be ridiculous. He's probably got a beautiful voice that he's too shy to share. It's going to be one of those moments. Oh, it's definitely that. Um, And if not, we should try, you need to come with a Watford chant for tomorrow that fits SISCP25 in and then we'll all sing it with you. I'll even sing it with you. Um, yeah, I might be able to do that. I know that Science and Sport products are used by Watford players because uh, oh. Stephen Moon of Science and Sport told me that once. Um, that Science and Sport are responsible for every Watford win. Mike... Blimey. Well, we that's a rarity. So <laughs> don't, let that, don't let that put you off. <laughs> you can be a better athlete than a Watford football player if oh you want. Oh, my word. This is trolling now. <laughs> this is trolling. Go on then, Lionel. You take, you take, take us on a... We'll move away. We'll drive away from well, Watford and drive first north. First of all, I do need to clear up a few things from yesterday's uh, visit to Banbury because we didn't actually get round to confirming what a cock horse is because uh, off... Uh, well, we cut this did out. Did we not? I thought we did. Did we? No, I don't think we did. <laughs> no, I think we it did. wasn't fit for the podcast. <laughs> we, well, we I know dissolved. that I had my ideas of what it might be. We dissolved into fits of giggles, didn't we? Because, I mean, it, <laughs> I, I, I'm saying nothing. Um, the listeners can make up their own minds as to what they think may have happened. But a, a cock horse is... Um, was apparently when uh, there was a steep hill and uh, stuff had to be delivered to the top of the steep hill back in the days when horse and cart were the mode of transport, there would be a cock horse that would live and be kept at the bottom of the hill and then that would join forces with the other horses and carry, uh, carry, pull the cart up to the top and then children uh, for fun would then ride the cock horse back down the hill so that's one explanation and that's the one i'm sticking with because it's uh but what's with the name lionel what what, what do you what's mean with the, why is it called a cock horse i don't know and Rose. why are the I, other horses not called a cock horse oh, or not called cock horses I've, I've done my best here to try and find out <laughs> the origins of the riding a cock horse to banbury cross and that's as far as i've got um today there's a well the horse theme continues really and there is a cycling link there is a cycling link because we were in warsaw now mentioning football as you did rose warsaw football club are nicknamed the saddlers and that is because warsaw was really the center of the leather industry and in 1866 a company called Brooks was founded in Hockley, Birmingham, and they set up their first base in Smethwick, actually, uh, also in the West Midlands. And the company's founder, John Boltby Brooks, took up cycling after his horse died, but he found that the wooden saddles were too uncomfortable, so he started making bike saddles from leather. And so Brooks, who everyone will know about the legendary Brooks saddle, the Brooks Saddle was born. So not quite in Warsaw, but there's a very leathery link between Warsaw, Brooks Saddles and horses. And I spoke to a friend of the podcast in Warsaw who uh, gave a little bit more graphic information about I don't think we horses. need graph- do we, do we need, don't need more graphic information about horses, Lionel. It's not we? that graphic, don't worry. <laughs> Remind me of your name. I'm Kev Jones. And we've met before. We have in 2018 in Cholet, Tour de France, team time trial in the car park. 
We had a long conversation about the race that day and here we are in the Arboretum in Warsaw and you're relatively local to here? About 15 miles away, but I've wimped out and driven across today. But I did, I did bring my bike and I'm cycling in the wet. And what is Warsaw known for? Walsall, I think, is really famous for leather industry, saddle making. That's why the football club's called the Saddlers, which you'll know, because you're a football fan, aren't you? Well, sort of. Is it Luton or Watford? (laughs) Steady on there, steady on. (laughs) Yeah, um, leather. Probably heavy industry as well, being part of the black country, conurbation. Nail making, chain making, anchor making. I mean, the black country's got a massive amount of history anchors for the titanic was made probably 10 or 15 miles away in cradley i think it was and now i would have thought this would be a lot more urban than it is walsall is a it's somewhere that you sort of drive past on the m6 or visit the, the best got stadium for the football of course but here we are in the arboretum and it's a lovely little oasis here isn't it as a little patch of green space because birmingham as you were saying when we first met um it, it does spread and sprawl, doesn't it? And, and encompasses all of the towns around Wolverhampton, Warsaw, uh, West Bromwich, I suppose. I'm, I'm just naming the football clubs now. But, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, there's, you know, there, as you say, it's a bit more rural, is it, the way that the race is going? Yeah, it tends to be. But like most of the West Midlands, you have big towns that are joined by a thin ribbon of urbanness, if, if that's a word. And then in between those, you get really beautiful patches of countryside. And am I going to put my foot in it here if I say that Banks's Brewery is from Warsaw or not no. quite? Banks's Brewery is from Wolverhampton, born and bred. Now, I don't live far from Wolverhampton, a bit further, a bit further south. But no, it's not from Warsaw, Lionel. How dare you? <laughs> Exactly, I I am putting my foot in it, sorry. Don't call people brummies here. They're black country, through and through. Point taken. And lastly, on the saddle industry, uh, the the leather was... We're talking horse saddles here predominantly, but would companies like Brooks, which is sort of Midlands-y, but a bit further over, would have used the leather as well, I guess? Well, I think as the crow flies, Brooks saddles is probably five or six miles from where we are now. Nosey's based in Birmingham, isn't it? Yeah, so five or six miles, there's no doubt they'd have got their leather from here. I bet it stank around here back in the 19th century with all the urine they used to use to sort of tanninise the leather and to soften it. Yeah, that's what they used to use. We, horse we and human we. On that note... (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Nice to see you again. And you, mate. So no sniggering at the uh, thought of urine being used to soften leather... Uh, I'm assuming the leather was then washed before it was, you know, used. I hope um, so. Oh, well, do you fancy? I mean, Lizzie, you're going to be hitting out doing the recon tomorrow of the time trial. Do you fancy a urine-soaked leather saddle for that? Or? <laughs> I don't mind what I sit on as long as it's soft and comfortable. So if so, uh, that's better than the wooden saddle. So definitely, we were done a favour there. Soak it in it. urine, and it's fine for me. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is, whatever, whatever it takes to make my saddle comfortable. <laughs>
That'll do for me. You're in softened saddles. I can see that as a, you know, a, a premium product. Um, we'll be advertising it in no time, yeah. I expect. <laughs> well, yeah, if someone wants to give us some money for it, then <laughs> that's absolutely no problem. Well, I'm, we're looking forward to um, hearing about your recon tomorrow, Lizzie, and seeing what it's like out on the road, because it's going to be instrumental, we think, don't we, to the uh, overall GC at the Women's Tour. Um, and uh, Lionel, I guess you'll be just admiring the TT course from afar, but we'll be running around talking to people as usual. Well, not people. Well, people, I guess. We, we will talk all, to some people. people. The riders are people. Yeah, they are. Yeah. It's easy to forget sometimes, isn't it? But yeah. they are people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Lizzie will probably tell well, us that not all of them are, probably. Mm. Yeah, some of them are superhuman. Some of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's be more from us uh, tomorrow and every night this week. Uh, but uh, we're going to leave you there. So um, thank you, Lionel. Thank you, Rose. And thank you, Lizzie. Thank you, Rose. Um, and we're going to leave you with um, a fantastic interview that Orla Shenoui did with uh, Eleanor Barker on the news that just came out today that Eleanor Barker is having a baby. Um, so uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Eleanor, by the time anyone hears this, I'm sure probably they'll have read on your social media what your exciting news is. But in case they haven't, tell us what's your big news. Uh, my news is that my boyfriend Casper and I are expecting our first child. Ah! <laughs> Am I allowed to scream? <laughs> Absolutely. I <laughs> so tell me, what was what was your reaction when you found out? I guess. I mean, it's. Um, it's still unusual at this stage in a, in a professional cyclist career to be taking a career break for having starting a family, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it feels less so. I mean, I can probably only name a handful of people who have had kids in recent times when um, women's cycling has been at such a level that it's very, very well documented. But I feel like even just with those few examples, I'm now at such a massive advantage because... Not only have I got all of that experience that I can go and pull on, um, but also the people who are essentially in control of the opportunities that I'll have in my career in the future have seen that it's possible and more than possible to um, have a child and come back to cycling and achieve. I mean, we've literally just seen <laughs> Lizzie Dynan win Paris Bay, yeah. <laughs> which, um, yeah, was pretty incredible for me to watch. I mean... I felt like that was happening specifically for me when I was watching on Saturday. I literally couldn't take my eyes off it because that just felt like this massive sign that actually it probably won't be hindered too much as long as I am given those opportunities. And what has the reaction been like from those kinds of people then, Eleanor? Because I remember speaking to Lizzie about this and was really quite shocked by her telling me that... Um, Hardly anyone, she said, Monica Santini was the first person to actually congratulate her. Everyone else reacted with a bit of shock and horror and didn't really know how to respond to it. What's your reaction been like? That is, that's such a shame to hear, actually, because it's been just, like, so overwhelmingly positive wow. for me. Um, it's, it's been quite a surprise for us. I really, really did not expect <laughs> to get pregnant. Um, I mean... <laughs> I think firstly, because we were trying not to get pregnant. <laughs> um, <laughs> and secondly, because um, I was diagnosed with endometriosis a few years ago. Oh, yeah. And so I was told that if I did want to have a baby, it would take a really, really long time. Um, and it would be years and years of trying, which we'd kind of, I suppose, discussed and planned for um, already. And so to have this was a, 
a really massive surprise, um, not least because I actually found out while I was in Tokyo. Um, it was just after the theme suit had finished. Um, and so I took a test out there, found out, flew home straight away. And I was due that week to sign um, a two-year contract with the Norwegian team UNOX. But I just felt like I can't sign this now knowing what I know. I think it would be totally different had I signed it a month before and then found out then maybe I'd have different expectations but to sign it knowing that I wouldn't be racing mm. next year it just felt kind of wrong and so they were actually among the first people that I told and the message that I got back from uh, Jens who's the the boss of the team was just incredible I mean yeah he was just so so supportive so kind and he just assured me that nothing will change. Um, the contract offer was still on the table. Obviously, things would look a little bit different, but he just said how excited he was to, to see me back racing again. That is absolutely incredible. And so your contract has gone ahead with them. You're going to take maternity leave, I guess, with them, are you? And then and then start racing with them as and when? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, currently, I've got probably an A, B and a C plan for returning to racing. Um, <laughs> but all of those kind of end, I suppose, with a full season in 2023. I want to take you back just very briefly to um, Tokyo because I didn't realise that that's where you found out that uh, you were pregnant. That's phenomenal. I presume you were able to get a test off the team doctor and you didn't have to go to Tokyo Pharmacy and decipher a Japanese pregnancy kit, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I actually wasn't allowed to go to a pharmacy. And I think this is probably, I mean, at the time it was, it was quite stressful. Um, but I think by the time that it got to me taking the test, I think it was probably the best way that things could have panned out. So about a week before the racing started, um, I realized that I was unusually late getting my period for me. Mm. So um, I went to the doctor and I spoke actually with the doctor and the psychologist and I said, look, this is the situation, I think there's a chance I might be pregnant. And yeah, we discussed whether or not to try and find out as soon as possible and then deal with it or whether it's best to wait until after racing. Um, but because the rules were so strict, nobody was allowed to go to a shop. So the only option at that point in time was to travel to Tokyo, take a test there and then come back. And I was like, okay, so what am I going to tell to all of my teammates that I'm just having a day out? <laughs> under the strictest of conditions five days before you race. I was like, that's not possible, for one. Um, and secondly, I don't know if I want to know yet because I think if I... Being unsure was one thing, but I think having mm -hmm. it confirmed probably would have just thrown my head a little bit at that point in time. And so, yeah, I sat with the doctor and psychologist and they said, right, this is the situation. From the doctor, I need a plan. How much caffeine is safe to take? what supplements am I or aren't I allowed to use? Is it safe to race in the first place in the situation that I am pregnant? And then with the psychologist, I made a plan to essentially just put it out of my head for five days. And actually on, on the whole, I think I did quite well with that. Um, yeah, I felt on race day, I didn't really think about it. Uh, and so in that time, in that five days, we managed to get someone to courier a test from Tokyo um, to Izu. So that as soon as the racing was finished, I could go back and I could take a test and find out. Um, and after the racing was done, I think I'd managed to put it out, out of my head to such an extent that once the racing was done, um, I think we were watching the men's team sprint ceremony. 
uh, the podium ceremony and the psychologist came up to me and said so so what do you think it's going to be and I was like what do you mean what do you think it's going to be what, gold what silver like, yeah. and I was like no like what do you think it's going to be and I was like oh I forgot about that um and so yeah I've I'm really, really glad that I had that team around me of people who knew exactly what to do, exactly what was and wasn't safe, but also managed to just help me get my head back in the game and focus on the racing until it was over. What an emotional roller coaster, <laughs> Eleanor. I mean, even getting to the stage normally as a woman where you even go to the pharmacy and buy a pregnancy test, that in itself is emotional because you've invested something into it, whether you want it to be positive or negative. And then weighing on the stick, waiting for the result, all of that. And it just brings back such intense memories. I cannot imagine going through an Olympic final in the middle of all of that. It's, it's absolutely insane. What an amazing story you're going to have to tell to this baby whenever it grows up a little bit. It's so beautiful. Um, so what are your plans now through pregnancy? Do you have like a training plan? Do you know how much you're going to try to train through it? Um, I think I was probably a little bit optimistic. <laughs> yeah, then the body takes over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, until that point, I actually felt great I hadn't really felt any different whatsoever um and I think maybe in hindsight there'd been some symptoms that I'd maybe put on to other things so I started to feel a little bit fatigued maybe in Tokyo at times and when I started to feel a little bit sick just before the racing I was like well I'm nervous (laughs) very normal I always feel a little bit sick always going off my food a little bit before racing so completely normal um and I think just the the travel the lack of sleep the jet lag the I mean, anxiety to a point. It was it was mm. a really, really exciting time, but also quite a lot to get my head around. Um, it really was kind of like the catalyst for then feeling terrible mm. after that. Um, I mean, I was just so tired. I felt sick all of the time. So I had, um, I think, probably about 10 days off, which was planned anyway. Um, but my plan from there had been to have um, some pretty intense road training from that point um I was hoping to start the women's tour this week and to race um road nationals next week um and so deferring from that plan was actually quite difficult because it's something that I'd had in my head for quite a long time so I kind of thought well I'll just continue the training anyway um to the best of my ability which my body just completely disagreed with Mm. (laughs) point blank and I think what was so weird about it as well is I, I mean yeah you're maybe you've had a similar experience of it um with, with your two pregnancies in that I'm I'm pretty used to feeling tired mm. and pushing myself through it but this was just like another level it yeah. was like it was like every single cell in my body weighed about five kilograms yeah I just couldn't <laughs> couldn't like lift myself up it was um it was crazy but I think also in hindsight I made the mistake of then if I did have a good day I would train as much as possible so on the fifth side of <laughs> Some days only been able to do five minutes. Um, on one of my good days, I think I did six to seven hours, Whoa. and then was, <laughs> was really confused. I felt wiped out. After that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it just felt really, really good to be able to to ride and, and feel good again. And I thought, well, I don't know when I'll get a day like this again, so I'll, I'll just keep going and keep going. Um, so I'm learning now to be a bit more 
just out in the public sphere, mm. sphere has really changed my own perception of things. And I remember hearing a story about um, Sarah Story's waters breaking when she was on the turbo. <laughs> um, and when I heard that, I remember thinking, that is crazy. That will not be me. <laughs> oh my God. I really, really hope that's me. That's so good. <laughs> that's what I'm really like crossing my fingers for now is the same kind of experience. I mean, I think if I'd had this news maybe five years ago, the first thought I'd have had is, that's my career over. Wow. Um, whereas now it was like, okay, what's my career going to look like now? How am I going to navigate this? Mm.